All right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, um, at least host for the next few seconds. More to come on that uh, here in just a second. But uh, it is good to have you back. If you're live streaming with us today, welcome. Uh, this is a bit of an unusual twist on a Boca Podcast episode. I'm going to be in the hot seat here shortly, and I'll introduce our guest host in just a second. If you are live streaming, don't be shy. Jump into the conversation, ask questions, make fun of me if you want to. <laughs> Whatever you'd like to do to be part of the conversation today, I'd encourage you to do that. That's, of course, the wonderful opportunity that comes with these live streaming uh, episode. So please take advantage. For those of you that are listening to this after the fact, come join us sometime. Be part of these live stream episodes. If you follow us at Boca, B-O-K-E-H podcast on Instagram, it's the best place to, to follow us for the upcoming live stream schedule. And we would love to have you here. All right. Well, on that note, um, I want to introduce our guest host today. And this is going to be so weird, Stacy. Stacy Owen is here with me. Stacy, we've done at least one or two episodes together. And what's it, two now? Previous episodes? I- yeah, I think I think two two I think that's right. on on yours. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and I, I was the host at the time. S- somehow I've got to like shift to guest mindset now and and shift the hosting duties over to you. And I have to think about that while I'm also managing the production on this side too. So this is gonna be a fun experiment. But thanks for doing this. I appreciate you offering. Dude, thanks for letting me just pepper you with questions. I feel like so many of your guests want to do what I am doing, that you're just allowing me to do this. And I mean, it's incredible that you're still, like you said, you're the you're the production manager back there still like pushing the buttons. I'm just here to hang out and, you know, we just want to get to know you a little bit more. And you have such like a loyal and dedicated audience. I know they are thinking these same questions. So I'm excited to get into it. Well, and I told you before we started, it's a luxury because I, it, in most roles that I play in life, it's I'm I'm usually the one leading the conversation or asking the questions, and so when I occasionally I have this opportunity to be on the flip side of it, it's, it, it feels like a luxury. Really, it's kind of fun. We've already got a couple of comments too on on Facebook. Kelsey said, "Stacy coming in hot with the extra plunging black V neck." We were actually trying to match. I, I think I need to pull mine down a yes, little bit too. Yes, Would that does that work? <laughs> yeah, amazing. <laughs> so thanks, Kelsey, for chiming in. And then uh, Matt said, finally, I'm available during your, one of your live streams. I always catch these after the fact, but it feels so much more inclusive being here live. Thanks, Matt, for coming to be part of it. Love and it. for anybody Love else who, who joins us in the live stream, don't hesitate to say hello, comment. Um, and Stacey, I'll pop those up occasionally if we get more questions or comments and make it part of the part of the discussion. Perfect. You're a master. This is the thing. Like you are. I've I've had conversations and been on podcasts with multiple different people and you were a master at what you do like even the times when I've tried to turn the tables on you (laughs) and like when I was when you were interviewing me you're like you are just so skilled at keeping the conversation going Mm. to make sure it's of high value and a purpose I mean like I'm already wanting to get into other questions past the ones I initially wanted to ask you Um, so I think I'm just going to go with that and then we'll backtrack a little bit so how did you how did you come up with the Boca podcast and your particular style the podcast was a bit of a selfish endeavor, honestly. Um, a number of years ago, after my partner and I split, I went into a little bit of a dark place. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to go into some of that if you'd like. But I really pulled back from the industry at that point. Um, my partner and I, who is a super talented photographer, by the way, still photographing, mm. uh, were very, very much connected to involved in the industry speaking and, and, and helping photographers and so forth. 
And so connection to the industry was a really important part of our lives. And going through that period after the split, it was it was tough on multiple levels. And I just kind of pulled back uh, from the industry. I just wasn't as well connected. So when I, I decided I want to kind of reconnect with the industry, the podcast was an opportunity to do that, to be able to have conversations with photographers. And so there was a selfish element to it. I, you mentioned the effort at adding value, and, and it's a genuine effort. Um, you ask anybody <laughs> yes, who I have conversation it, with yeah. behind the scenes, and, and that's definitely a consistent intention on my part. Yes. Because there's a lot of content out there, right? And, and I love entertaining content, but I'm not an entertainer. That's just not my strength. So what I Unless can... Unless you do the deep V. <laughs> Unless, yeah, <laughs> so squeeze my chest together. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, nice, nice. <laughs> Uh, but that's otherwise not my strength. And so what, what I can do, though, is at least try to go deep in conversation and really, I guess, focus on elements of conversation that will bring value to the photography industry in the end. Whether listening to for five minutes or an hour or whatever it might be, I want to try to add value. So that was kind of the next in line priority. And then, of course, it gives me an opportunity to kind of soft sell my company photographer's edit. Uh, but I tend to avoid that because I, I don't want people to feel like they're getting ads or commercials shoved down their throat all the time. So I've actually had feedback, which is, Nate, you need to actually sell PE more I, often. I, from I, I have seen and that. Listeners. Yeah. 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 <laughs> as far as the style, though, it, it's a combination of, uh, do you know who Tim Ferriss is? Yes. Four Hour Body, Four Hour Work yes. Week, a number yeah. of books. I listened to Tim for a long time. I, occasionally, I'll, I'll jump in and listen to him uh, now and then. But that was probably the most impactful influence on my life as a podcast host in that he is I just, he goes deep in conversation and takes these interviews in a direction that a lot of these guests that he has on the show or has had on the show. were not used to going. It was deeper. It was a bit more personal. And I like that approach to conversation. Um, I really am drawn to long form conversation as well. That, that tends to flow organically and mm-hmm. um, Joe Rogan, I know he has mixed uh, or there are mixed opinions about him out there. But one of the things we can say objectively is that he's one of the most popular podcast hosts in, in the country and in the world, actually. And he has this talent, which is just still mind blowing to me, which is to be able to hold conversations for two to three hours. And you don't really feel like you're listening to a two to three hour conversation it flows very organically. I tried that at the outset of the podcast that we started about six years ago or no, I guess coming up on seven years. And it didn't work very well because intentionally, most of the guests that I was having on the show were not these big name teachers or speakers with experience you know, being on podcasts and presenting information in a way that was easy to follow. So just trusting that they were going to be able to, with me, Hold create up interesting their conversation. End. Yeah, yeah. And, and conversation <laughs> that would flow, it didn't play out well. Um, so I, th- I then transitioned to a more intentional approach, which is go ahead and send an outline of talking points and questions ahead of time. It gives both myself and the guest a direction to go in the conversation. And certainly we can, you know, we can kind of play off of that a little bit, but that kind of direction and flow makes for a better end listening experience for our, our listeners, for our community. And I think it's played out pretty well. Yeah, you've, you've polished it. It's every single time, I'm like, man, he knows what he's doing. So how long did it take to really find that rhythm and that flow? So when you first started out and you maybe you tried a few different things, was it a year? Was it maybe a little bit longer? Like, did you have a whole year of just like, what am I doing? Or like, maybe it was a few episodes of like, I'm just getting like the feel for this. And then mm-hmm. it happened more naturally. Or was it something, was it something truly intentional? Where like, okay, like, no, I really need to structure this 
after a few episodes of just trying it. There's a lot of intention that goes into it. But I will say first that I literally just, I don't know, two days ago was texting Jill who produces the show and happens to be my girlfriend as well. But yeah, um, she I told her, I'm like, I feel like a rookie. And, and, and I do still at times. I know that there's so many different ways that I could refine, continue to refine the so-called craft. I, I don't kind of, mm. I guess, blow it up that big in my mind, this idea of being an art or a craft. But the, I guess, the skill set of being able to interview live, by the way, and that's been a fun challenge, and be able to, to carry on conversation or, or make the episode flow, even when we have technical issues or, or otherwise. Um, there's, there's so many different ways that I can continue to improve. What I will say, and... Um, this is something that most people don't know about me is behind the scenes, whether it, it comes to podcast conversations uh, or interviews, whether it's preparing for conversations with business partners or photographers in the industry, my kids with Jill, I actually practice conversation out loud, mm. whether mm. I'm just uh, moving around my apartment or I'm in the car uh, because it is my intention to be a good communicator. And it, that takes a lot of repetition and practice thinking about words that we're using and what that might mean to the person on the other side, the way that those thoughts flow. I know that I have a tendency of talking too much, so how do I kind of pack as much as possible into as few words as possible? That's something that I have to work on as well. This is something that I do on a regular basis, and it has played really well in helping me improve my skill as a communicator. So it's truly a craft. It's not just something like... I mean, Stacy style, I'm like, hey, yo, what's up? I'm like, let's hang out and I'm going to ask you some things and let's get to know you. And I'm definitely more of a, a winging it type person, which has its benefits because sometimes I just like will do things that maybe would just be absolutely terrifying for a lot of people. And I don't think about it too much, which is great. But also, I could be a little bit more polished or a little bit more intentional, mm. especially when you are asking someone for their time. That's and that's actually an interesting point. Time, I don't think we respect people's time enough. And honestly, that whether that's conscious or subconscious at times, I respect people's time so much that if they're going to take the time to listen to the podcast, I want to make sure they're getting a lot from it. Mm. When I think about somebody coming to listen to me speak, um, I just did a presentation at a workshop earlier this week, one that I've done multiple times over the last, I don't know, four or five years or so. And yet, I still rehearsed it multiple times in different ways in advance of that presentation. When I get up there, I want it to flow super easily. You know, you see a lot of, unfortunately, even those so-called, um, I don't know, celebrities, industry celebrities on the circuit a lot of times, um, they are regularly looking at their slides and having to look down. They're not engaged with their audience. And it, it's, it really takes away, I think, from the quality of the presentation when you don't actually know the content well enough that you're sharing with those that are you know, paying and spending time to be there in front of you. Um, there is kind of an innate lack of respect um, that you didn't actually prioritize it enough to prepare for the sake of maximizing the, the impact for those listeners. So I, that's an interesting point. Okay, I have I have to say like I that is something else I have noticed when you were interviewing, you never look at notes. And if you do, it must be like the quickest little like look to the side, <laughs> you know, or like slightly off center because there's a yeah. sticky note just like perfectly placed. Yeah, you definitely know your content, what you want to ask, where the conversation where you want it to go. You're a very active listener, which I think is such a skill as well. Mm. I want to go back where you said that sometimes you still feel like a beginner or you like, um, I can't remember exactly how you worded it, but about still feeling like you still have a lot to learn. I feel like that's what it takes to be innovative and to stay current because 
if you feel like, as soon as you feel like you're a rock star, in my opinion, that's when you're no longer evolving and growing and keeping up with this ever-changing landscape. And I think to innovate, you have to take your brain from, I'm at 100 and bring it back down to zero and be really humble enough to do that. Like, I'm still learning as mm-hmm. if I was starting at zero. Yeah, ego doesn't, there's, there's no room for ego. Uh, one, certainly if you actually want to build a connection with people, there's at least very little room for it. Hmm. And two, a value of mine in my life is growth. And, and you're not going to look for opportunities and put the time and effort into continuing to improve on any level as an individual if you have this mindset of, you know, some version of I've made it. Mm-hmm. And so I, that, that continues to drive me as well. I want to continue to get better in so many different areas of my life. Mm-hmm. And I realize that I fall short. Everything's very relative, right? I, I can say that I have X number of listeners or downloads or I've done this many podcast episodes or I make this amount of money. There's always somebody that's going to be better. So this idea that I've made it is also a massive misnomer. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's, I, I want to continue to get better. And I think that also makes life interesting. If we ever get to this place where we say we're bored or that there's nothing to do, that, that's on us because there's always that opportunity is. to learn, yeah. to grow, to try new things. Yeah. Do you get nervous? Occasionally. Uh, I know if I'm, if I'm interviewing a guest who certainly I haven't before and, or they are, they have a little bit larger following. Um, it's really on me at that point because I'm, I'm probably projecting onto them or onto the experience what I think it's going to be. And then I create nerves for myself that happens just very, very occasionally, but otherwise, no, I'm pretty comfortable. And I, are, I love yeah. the experience of speaking, especially in front of groups of people, workshops or conferences, that kind of thing. When you are nervous, how does it come out? Hmm. I'm not as fluid in the way that I'm communicating. Um, I sweat more than I already do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people joke about my black T-shirts. The reason you were going to talk about that. Yeah. Well, the reason <laughs> I started wearing them in the first place is because I, I just sweat easily. And so I naturally, when I was I started speaking on stage years ago in the industry, I was wearing other colored clothing and it just became very obvious and obviously it's embarrassing and you want to try to do something about it. It was the easiest way to, or one of the easiest ways to go about (laughs) addressing the obvious and embarrassing issue. Is there about a um, minimalism to also like the same black V-neck? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, simple. Um, So simplicity actually is another value of mine and the way that I define simplicity is a minimum number of moving parts. So... Mm. As humans, we tend to talk about how complicated we are and how complicated life is. And the reality is we're the ones that are creating extra unnecessary moving parts in our life, again, on so many different levels and complicating it ourselves. So when it comes to clothing, it's not that I don't have any interest in brands. Um, I, I, there's a particular brand called Bell Staff that makes hmm. just gorgeous jackets. It's a British company. And I've spent a little bit of a premium on buying a Bell Stuff jacket, not just for myself, but also for my kids. So I can appreciate that kind of thing. But when it comes to the day-to-day, I, if, if all I have to do is put on a pair of jeans and a, and a black V-neck, that's great. There's Now, speaking of ego, there's a little bit of ego there because I've worked really hard to, to um, get my health to where it's at and ultimately to build the physique that I have. And hmm. I wear a, a, a medium or a large Express V-neck from, uh, what is it, Express? And they fit really, really well. And so it, it complements the work that I put into you know, taking care of myself. And I'm proud of that. So there's, there's a little bit of ego wins. involved. Consistency wins. 
exactly. The hashtag. Yeah. I was going to do that on the uh, the morning routine. I'm like, oh, I just don't want them to have an up close of my watch stat. I'm like, I'm just not Nathan. I am not Nathan. So, sorry. Continue. Well, no, it's fine. And actually, I'm going to throw in because we had a bunch of comments come in here, and I'm I'm a little bit embarrassed to to even pop this one up on screen. But uh, Matt said you're hands down the most engaging and thoughtful mm. interview that I've ever listened to. Most podcasts with a similar format, you can tell when the host is just waiting for their turn to speak. And it's never the case here. I think it's part mm-hmm. of what has kept me so engaged over the past couple of years. And I appreciate that, Matt. But I will also say that I got feedback. I, th- I think it was actually in a review that somebody did on Apple Podcasts a number of years ago that said I was talking too much. And I realized that was a shortcoming on my part. So I, I worked at, at refining that, improving that, and taking a step back and, and trying to highlight the guests even more so. So it, it comes with, with work. Samantha says, I always think how great you are at communicating and interviewing. You have a gift. And I, I, again, I, I hate to pop these up on screen because yes, I don't do want to make this about me, but thank you all for the kind words. This Kelsey, is about you. <laughs> Kelsey <laughs> says, I like to be just as shocked about what comes out of my mouth as the person I'm talking to, winging it. Yeah, and that's actually interesting, Kelsey, and, and it takes a certain level of comfort. I have to say, and I've told Kelsey this before, um, that she is one of the most witty individuals that I've had conversation with. I am, I, I'm super jealous of that kind of wit. It's something I want to get better at. I wish Same. there was a book. Kelsey, will you write a book so that I actually, can learn how? Same. I like literally told her this last week. I'm like, I watch the way that she emails and communicates to people. I'm like, I cannot, I could not even like 10% be her kind of witty and like funny, like funny. And you're like, how did, and smart. Like Mm -hmm. she blows my mind. The combination is super impressive. Yeah. I got to give major props to, um, uh, to Kelsey. Daniel says you're a master at active listening, Nathan. Thank you, Daniel. Daniel. uh, Kelsey says, I'm partly kidding. I try to speak very intentionally too. Well, I I mean, and that's clear too. The thing is, that's the thing about wit that's interesting is that I think it can be learned because there is intent, there is some intention behind it. Um, I honestly, I've, I take it so seriously. I want to actually be better at it that I've bought at this point, probably at least two or three books about that topic or a related topic. So I could work on that skill set. I have a long ways to go though. (laughs) So this book are you reading these books? Is this a part of your morning routine? So in your morning routine, which I followed this morning the best that I could, yeah. there is a book section. I'm like, this has got to be like business related or like self-development related. Or is it like you're like reading a romance novel for 10 minutes to start your day? I Yeah, not usually the romance novel. Um, I've, I've delved in the past, but uh, yeah, no, not as not normally the case. No, the really most of them are, are either, like you said, self-development, self-help books, or mm-hmm. business-related books. Right now, I'm actually taking a, a slight hiatus just because I'm juggling so many different things. There, there's an interesting balance to strike, I think, which is it's it's nice theoretically to consume a lot of information. Unfortunately, we live in a world where there's a lot available to us. But we can only, one, juggle so much information internally, right? And, and some more than others. But then the question, the bigger question, is how much of that are we actually applying Mm-hmm. And then how many more things can I read that will actually make a significant difference? Like do major heavy lifting in my life. Um, how many more things can I read that would be like that would have that level of impact than I've already read? Because I, I think it, at this point, as much as I have read and I'm a bit of a nerd with this, like I literally write book reports and give ratings and everything when, it, when I read stuff. But as much as I've read, I, I would say that I could probably have just as much, if not even more success, just by focusing on what I've learned in, say, eight to 10 books. 
and, and just living that those principles or those ideas out consistently, then continuing mm-hmm. to take in more and more information. Mm-hmm. So I, it's not an either or proposition in my mind, but that's just something that I think about. At this point, I'm taking a bit of a break because I am juggling so much and I think I've taken in enough information at this point that I just mm-hmm. need to focus on going, applying it consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my, my approach to reading. I I have some things that I mean this could be a whole conversation in its own. I think there's only so much that you can absorb. First of all, you could read book after book, mm. concept after concept, and so many things that you could do. And like truly, how much can you retain if you just constantly are like reading and consuming more material? Mm-hmm. I am also a complete nerd. This is what I do in my spare time. I read self development books. Yeah. I'm like, oh, like what are you doing this evening? I'm, like, I'm reading my new like self help book. It's excellent. It's by this person, and it's okay. about this. Um, and I, this is something that someone asked me once like how much are you actually retaining and now that I'm just gonna like obviously be my own devil's advocate actually like quite a bit but I agree that you really need to take what you've learned and implement it or else then what are you doing it's like reading a cookbook and looking at all the recipes but never actually making them Mm -hmm. yeah and you hear some people talk about oh I read 100 books last year or I read 10 books a month or you know whatever the thing is and that's, I mean, again, theoretically, that's great. But yeah, what mm-hmm. can you, or how much are you consistently applying from mm-hmm. reading those books? That That's still a question mark in my mm. mind. So I know to each his own, but for me, yeah. I'm, I'm working at kind of finding a, a healthy balance. I've got a massive library of books that um, that I've yet to actually read and to go through. And I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth between reading those, like on my Kindle, um, versus reading them or listening to them via audio because I like the convenience of audio when I'm driving because there's so much time to, you know, when we're driving, even if it's just across town for the gym or, or grocery shopping or whatever it might be, we can still take in a chapter or a few pages. And I think that's great. The caveat there is that I can't engage with it. I can't underline and take notes and then make notes. You know, I need to go do this next thing. And I'm trying to voice the text to Siri, but Siri's not getting what I'm saying. And now I'm like, oh, mm. shoot. And I try to go. Mm. It, it becomes a little bit chaotic or it can be. So I, there's, that's something else that I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, the best approach to, but, um, Kindle or Amazon just released a Kindle that enables you to actively read a book, but then also take notes on like using a, a pen or an oh, e-pen. And I'm, oh. I'm thinking I might end up picking up one of those because it's kind of best of both worlds. You can take your library with you. You can take the notes and, um, and then actually get screenshots of those notes to, to be able to share to other devices or otherwise. And, and I think that's pretty powerful. So what are three things that you are implementing right now? Or three things that you're focusing on that you have implemented. You're like, these are the things that I am focusing on for this year. Hmm. I, I think the conversation really just could simply center around my value set. There are 12 mm-hmm. values that, and, and I'll give it a little context to that. So Tony Robbins wrote a book called, he published a book called Reawaken the Giant Within a number of years ago. It's a digital ebook, 100 page or so download. Um, free, by the way. Anybody's listening, you can Google it and find it and download it. I think probably the most powerful psychological handbook, generally speaking, for life that somebody can read because it's accessible, it's easy to take in and understand. And if you actually take it seriously enough, like we were talking about, actually go apply it. Mm-hmm. It's extremely powerful. And uh, in fact, a number of years ago, he put out the, the original book's called Awaken the Giant Within. And I only read half of that book. It was like a 700-page book. I only read half of it. And it How's made, that? Oh, it was such a massive just massive, massive impact on my life to the extent that I went and got Mm. tattoos um, about two concepts, choice and belief that that he kind of uh, brought to to mind in that book. It was really, really powerful. But in that book and then the subsequent ebook, he talks about the significance of values. 
And I'd encourage anybody listening or watching to, to go read that book for more context. But that led me to begin to develop a list of values, which I've kind of changed and refined and developed over time. But those are values that I, that I certainly review, keep front of mind on a regular basis, and that I continue to, mm. to try to, to live out consistently, not only mm. for my own sake, but for the sake of those around me. Um, and I would start with actually the, the tattoos on, on my arms. So the one on the right-hand side, try to hold this to the, to the camera, it's a bit of an awkward position, but that's the Japanese word sentaku, which is choice. And then the one on the, the inside of my left wrist, if I can turn it, <laughs> is belief. And that's the Japanese word kakushin. And really, as much as we kind of either jokingly or maybe sometimes seriously say that love is what makes the world go around, I, I think when you really dig into it, choice and belief were the two most important elements of our daily life. And the cool thing is that we have the ability to choose the belief system, and I'm not talking about religious belief system, the belief system or the beliefs that will enable the life that we want. And when we realize the significance of that and that we can actually live that out consistently and how that will impact our lives, mm -hmm. it is truly life-changing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, I would start with that. Just start with that. <laughs> there you go. No big deal. No. Okay, like, no big deal. Like your morning routine, the 90 minutes of working out. Is this every day? Yeah, pretty much. Six. I Occasionally, I'm like, I should probably take a break just to actually give my body a break because I'm pushing pretty hard. But yeah, usually seven days a week. Okay, what? so the morning routine that I did, is it still the same that you're doing now or other than the 10 minutes of reading? It is It is actually that, yeah. And, you know, I mean, things will pop up or I'll allow myself to kind of get distracted. It's it's not that I'm perfect in executing that every morning, but the intention is that that um, that workflow. And actually, it, I don't just have my morning mapped out, but kind of my day work mapped out as well. So the idea is to start with a workout. I get mm -hmm. a lot from that on multiple levels. Um, and it just on a very basic level, if I get it done first thing, there's really not a question of whether or not I accomplish it that day. It won't get put off. I can't make excuses later. It gives me a certain energy too to get my day started. And, and I really love that. Um, once I'm and, and sometimes at the gym or in between, you know, doing weights or whatever it might be, I, I might actually do, uh, you talked about reading the news. That's part of my morning routine. It's very specific though. It's industry related, photography, industry related news, mm -hmm. uh, tech related news. Um, and then a little bit of indulgence, design-related news, and motorcycle-related news. So mm -hmm. it allows me to keep up with what I need to in the industry uh, for, as, as an entrepreneur and somebody who's getting ready to start yet another company. But then also I get to indulge a little bit and keep up with some information that's just simply interesting to me. I'm trying so hard not to just jump ahead to the starting another company because, I mean, I have a little bit of a sneak insider yeah. view and information of this, which mm. obviously I don't think we're supposed to talk about. But We can talk is... a little bit about it. Can we? Yeah, yeah, Should we yeah. do it now? Should we talk about it now? You're the host. You're the boss. Oh. I, I will. There are a bunch more comments coming in, though, Stacey, so I'm just okay. going to pop these up really quick. Perfect. Um, Samantha says, and this is something else we could probably come back to. Yes! What? I need to know what MIT means. Yes. <laughs> so MIT very simply is most important task. Mm. Yeah. So if, if I Why? say that I'm going to try to accomplish two to three most important tasks in the morning, and for anybody who doesn't have context, that's kind of uh, outside of the, the news and the reading, reviewing of values, um, glancing at the calendar to make sure I know what's coming up for the day. Then jumping into those two to three MITs is the priority because I know that mentally I'm going to be fresh, emotionally I'm going to be fresh, and I can give more to 
two or three tasks that are going to actually move my business in one direction or another. Something that is tied to what I would call a proactive task, something that's going to move my business forward. So let's say by the time I get through those two or three tasks, if the rest of the day is a bit chaotic and it can be, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunately, I'm fortunate enough to, to run a company with incredible team. It's a multimillion dollar company and there's a lot of different moving parts. And then on top of that, we're also building a new brand, which is likely going to be, you know, 20, 30 X what our current company is. So there's a lot of different, and then the podcast and so many different things. And so we're, it, there's a lot going on. And I know that if I am able to get work done in those two or three MITs initially, the rest of the day can theoretically be chaotic. I don't tend to allow it to get there, but it can be chaotic. But I know that I've gotten something done that's moving my business forward in one form or another because I spent time there. That's, that's the intention and the idea behind that. I think that's fantastic. I'm going to start implementing that. I'm I can be very reactionary into what people we need. Can, so yeah. I'm like my most important thing is to get people what they need because my team is like out there executing, they're doing the things and I'm I'm like the support person. Mm. I'm the like mad hat scientist with the Einstein hair with the ideas and then um, I'm there to like help make it happen, but they're really like the power horses. It's insane. They're crazy amazing. I have to so jump I, in really quick and, yeah, and yeah. highlight what you just said because that is such an important lesson for anybody listening in who either has a team of any kind, whether you're working with third-party companies or you know, in-house interns, whatever it might be, or you're, you're wanting to build a team, that very principle, and I think I, who really turned me on to it was um, probably Gary Vaynerchuk, just listening mm. to and or watching some of his content. But he was talking about the idea that as a company CEO or you know, manager, your job is not to be the boss. Your job is to support those Definitely. on your team. And the moment you shift to that that mindset, it really it changes the whole dynamic of of your interaction with them and ultimately the company culture. I think it's so important. Oh, I I, I always tell people I'm like I feel like I we are a team. I hate the word boss. Like don't ever call me your boss. That just yeah. makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah. And I really feel like I'm working for them. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And and. Th- kind of focus on that idea of I get to be on your team. This isn't about yeah. you coming and yes. joining me. This is, yes. I'm so lucky to, to get to work no. with you on your team to, to, for us to be on a team together. So that, I think it's a really important principle. Somebody, let's see, Andre said, uh, I love how Nathan keeps the conversation on topic, which shows respect for our time. Thanks, Andres. Yes, it's he's actually a genius. I'm always <laughs> impressed. Every conversation we have, my brain, I mean, just ask Kelsey, my brain's like, ding, 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 <laughs> ding, 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 yeah. right? It's yeah. true. And I, I'm well, like very aware. Yeah. I mean, you are, you're a master at like keeping it on track. And Kelsey is a master at keeping up with my binging my tinging, bringing brain. <laughs> Whatever the sound effect is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. Something, something. <laughs> but you know what I'm really impressed by uh, with your MITs and just with your morning routine and everything's very intentional. Mm. But that you can purposely move your business forward. You're starting this this new enterprise, which is amazing because you already have a few others under your belt that you're also running, and that you still have time to take care of yourself and your well-being and, mm. and still move it forward. Like the, the amount of pressure an entrepreneur feels to work and to continue to work and not take time for themselves is insane. And especially when, like you were saying, I took the 10 minutes out for reading because you have so much on your plate. That's 10 minutes. That's only 10 minutes. And you, how much have you added? How much have you added right. to your plate mm-hmm. for starting this new business? And how do you balance 
and like and like not let the pressure get to you where I should be working three extra hours today. Oh, I, my ninety-minute workout. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that because I'm focused on this thing. What the what is the priority? But yeah. but you ha- seems like you have this really great balance of yeah, taking care of yourself and your well-being so you can do the things in your business that you need to. But yeah, I I just need to know like how do you how do you resist that overwhelming pressure to just work? Well, to to be very honest, the last I would say the last three years or so, probably more so than, well, I don't know. Other than the outset when I first started Photographers Edit, um, the last two or three years have been some of the I've I've done some I've put in a lot more hours um, than I had in the past, and that's for a number of reasons. There, there's a lot going on, certainly with all these different companies, as you pointed out. Uh, but it's also very easy to be busy and not spending our time doing things that are actually having an impact, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to we have to be able to identify what actually matters. And when mm-hmm. we do that, and back to my earlier point about simplicity, we get rid of the unnecessary mm-hmm. moving parts. It's actually a lot easier uh, to be able to juggle different brands or companies than one might imagine. Again, I would go back to team, though, because there's just no way that I can do even close to what I do mm-hmm. um, without mm-hmm. my incredible team. And this goes all the way back to the beginning of Photographer's Edit, actually. So I, I started, for anybody who doesn't know, I started f- photographing weddings in 2001, shot for about 10 years full time. During that time, 2008, I, I launched Photographer's Edit, and we can get into that if you want. But the, the gist of it is that I saw an opportunity in the industry. I needed a post-production company to handle my post-production, and we launched the company. My, my intention was to create a company that would generate, quote unquote, passive income for me, i.e. I didn't need to have my hands in it all the time. I have a lot more freedom and flexibility as an entrepreneur and still have an income. And I was, I was intentional in the way that I built that business model. I was lucky as well to find a partner that would help me with the workflow and the customer service. And so within three and a half, four years or so, I was literally working four hours a week. And Tim Ferriss, who we talked about, wrote a book called The Four Hour Work Week. I actually mm-hmm. was reading that book around the time I was getting photographers edited off the ground. It was interesting because what I was trying to implement in my business was similar to what he was talking about. Tim has said that he didn't actually mean people should only work four hours a week, but I just ended up in that, that position. And again, lucky enough, both with a combination of intention and the business model, and then the team driving that workflow that I was able to do something like that. Hindsight, and I promise this is going somewhere to, in response to your, your question or your comment. Hindsight, what I, what I realized is that I could have found a little bit healthier balance, right? There may have been a little bit of laziness in there too, and that I was only putting that much time in a week into, into the company. And I put, say, 15, 20 hours a week into the company at that point. Despite our incredible success, we could have been three, four, five X what we were had I actually put the time and effort and energy into it. So I realized in hindsight um, that I could have done more or I could have had more. And it's not a money thing to be clear. It's not like I have to have X amount in the bank and mm. like obsess, mm. obsession over that. It's just, I don't, I don't want to be lazy and as a result, miss, mm. miss out on opportunity. And I take really, really seriously now, more so than ever by a significant amount, the responsibility that I have to my team as well. It was, mm-hmm. I was very, very selfish in my mentality back then. Now it's so much more about my team and how do I take care of my team and make sure that we created a, a great culture for our team and give them opportunity and be able to continue to give them raises and you know all these things. Mm-hmm. So in order to make that happen, to build the company that I know that this can be, especially this new brand, um, I am putting more effort and time and energy into it. It's not going to be forever. It's not sustainable. 
but I'm, I'm doing so intentionally knowing the opportunity there and the responsibility that I have to my team. Again, though, I would say that can happen if you're intentionally designing your day-to-day life and your workflow and you realize what actually matters and what doesn't actually matter so much. You will stress less about not getting something done. It will give you the, the space, the time, the freedom to be able to still exercise that flexibility. I could go work out, come back. I work, get some stuff done. I, I tend to like to work in spurts. So I work for a little bit. Maybe I'll go, you know, it's sunny outside right now. I'll go grab my motorcycle and go for a ride for 30 minutes. Come back, mm-hmm. get back to work. Um, I have that freedom and flexibility and I still take advantage of that, but I can do it because of, of the intention uh, and the way that I work. Mm-hmm. I admire that because I personally feel that such a high pressure to just continue to give more. So this is something that I've been working on like over the last six months or so is even my mindset around work and success or income or like just what success is for my version of that. Mm -hmm. And we all have a different version of what success is. And I have to say like I was really shocked when I realized I had this old school mentality of if I want to get to this level, I have to work twice as hard. Yeah, and I think, I, it's I, think a mixed I, bag. I think that's really common though. I don't, and it's not true. Like if you are maybe more intentional with your time, or mm-hmm. you're able to prioritize or identify like what does move your business forward and what's just busy work. Like that's not working more or working harder. That's just obviously the working smarter. But it, it is is so ingrained, and it feels like you have to earn. You have to earn that level of success, and it requires X. And I think that's just something that I was raised with and Mm. I'm having a hard time shaking it. Jill and I kind of jokingly repeat a phrase to each other on an ongoing basis, have now for the last two or three months, and that is both and. We'll just say Mm. both and. Because Mm. it's very easy... And our, I mean, just look around our culture. It happens. I'm certainly guilty of it because I do tend to be a bit of an extremist, kind of black and white. And Mm. so both and, right? It, it can be both and, or maybe in some cases it should be both and. So mm-hmm. it's not that we can sit back just by creating a smart workflow intentionally and expect to then become multimillionaires because we were intelligent in designing our workflow. We need to also put the time and effort and energy in. There are going to be times where we have to put more hours in than others. Um, and again, if we design our life and our business model and then our workflow intentionally. Certainly we can have a lot more freedom and flexibility than the average business owner. I would, I definitely pride myself in that. I know that I can get more done in a shorter amount of time uh, or with less work than the average entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. But that's, that comes from intention. Again, where mm-hmm. I missed out before was I kind of stopped with that and mm-hmm. I didn't put the work in. And this actually goes deeper too. I played soccer up into college and long story short, I missed out on the opportunity to go pro largely because there was an element of work. I, I was, I mean, I was out as a 12, 13 year old doing calisthenics and practicing early in the morning, all this stuff I was putting, it wasn't that I wasn't putting the time in, but the level of energy that I was putting in, the intensity of work that I was willing to put in or even comfortable putting in, um, mm-hmm. I hadn't figure out, figured out how to do that. There wasn't really anybody there kind of teaching and coaching me. And again, as a result, because of that, I had the skill set, but the, the level of work that I should have put in or needed to put in to get to that next level I didn't, and I missed out as a result. So mm. I see where a lack of work ethic or type of work ethic mm-hmm. um, has hurt me in the past. And so I'm, I'm trying to incorporate some more of that in while still having a life at the same time. Well, I call that a hashtag 
um, beep, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember if we can swear or not. <laughs> you, you certainly can. Nobody's talking. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'll remember that for next time. So it'll be less cheesy. Okay. I mean, always it's cheesy, but I kind of, I'm kind of into the cheese. <laughs> so obviously, you're very self-reflective, self-aware. You analyze what you've done in the past, how it's worked for you, hindered or helped. Um, you do self-development, reading, probably like podcasts, audio. I'm sure you attend workshops. What about the podcast that you do yourself. So when you're interviewing, you've interviewed some incredible human beings, lots of like all the range of photographers and topics. Hmm. Do you find that just doing what you do on the daily just changes your life? Like are there just moments? Have you okay okay, so that that's like this like a long rambly question. <laughs> so in general, do you feel like it's really changed your life? And is there one episode in particular a conversation that you had you're like holy crap holy shit like this is this is mind-blowing this is changing my life in this very moment most of my focus with the podcast is on how i'm serving uh the guest and Mm -hmm. then serving the listeners Mm -hmm. so i'm not i'm not really trying to i'm not there so much to look for information for myself as to make sure that i'm producing a really great show for ultimately for the, the end listener, certainly for the guests that are involved. So I honestly, there's not, I mean, there are certainly times where I'm like, oh, that was a good conversation or that was a good idea. Mm. Most of those currently, I mean, I, and we've done this for almost seven years or so now, over 600 yeah. episodes. So it, it doesn't, most of them don't stand out. The one that I will say stands out that made probably, at least most recently, the biggest impact on my life was a conversation that I had with a photographer named Sean Lee. Mm. And um, it's actually episode, I can point this out. Let's see, it's episode mm-hmm. 464. Mm-hmm of mm-hmm. the Boca podcast for anybody listening or watching if you haven't heard that go back um, Sean really impacted my life in the way that he is so focused on serving his local community uh, in the Grand Rapids area it's it's or excuse me Detroit area which it, it's just it's mind-boggling it was super humbling and that made enough of an impact on me that I began to more proactively look for ways to to give um, there's a particular mm-hmm. charity that I've given money to over the years called Charity Water. And what I started to do, and I, for a while I publicized this on the podcast to encourage others to give as well. I haven't been talking about it. I've continued to do this, though, with every Boca podcast episode. I always make a donation on the day that I have a Boca podcast episode. Uh-huh. And that's just one way that I can, I can make more impact. It's not local community, but it's a way that with the time that I have um, that I can, I can make an impact on somebody's life. You know, this idea, mm-hmm. as much as we focus on all these different issues in our culture and in the world, base level, if you don't have drinking water, you're kind of screwed. And yeah. and it's amazing to me how we focus on all these other charities and stuff when somebody just doesn't have drinking water. And charity water is really cool in that 100% of the donations, by the way, I'm not like sponsored by them or anything, but 100% of the donations actually go to the effort of getting clean drinking water to people the salaries of, of the, the staff and so forth, as far as I know, are still supported by additional donations uh, or funding. So the fact that I can give a little bit of money, know that that translates to somebody getting clean drinking water, and I can do that on a regular mm-hmm. basis, I just felt responsible to do a lot more after I had Sean on the show. And it was, it was humbling, like I said, super impactful, and it literally changed my life, changed the way that I behave in my life as a result. Okay, so do you have any moments where you're just like a crappy human being? Oh yeah, like, all the time. You were just like, like not productive, not giving, not serving, not like thinking about your audience and being like the best 
father and partner and friend and boss like what what is just like just a nathan moment what is like a like mm. a like just a truly like behind the scenes like this is not this is not for anyone but just truly myself mm. and don't say working out that that's not allowed oh like just to do for fun you're talking about yeah just to do like just for you like whether it's fun or not fun this is like in the tub reading the romance novel like something so <laughs> like unproductive yeah like just n- for no purpose at all other than this is a part of nathan that's just for you well and let me add a little bit of caveat to the conversation i'm glad to share I think it's easy for people to to hear what it is I'm saying and it sounds great and, and they're like, Nate, you're such a robot, you're a machine. Like you just go do the thing. You have it's all outlined and structured and planned and all that. What they don't know maybe, at least listening to that piece of it, is that I'm a highly, highly emotional human being. Mm-hmm. And that kind of roller coaster existence as a super emotional human being uh, has gotten me in a lot of trouble over the years mm-hmm. on, on different levels. Again, I'm willing to share, but long story short, what I've learned to do is to kind of rein that in. It's not about not being emotional. I'm still the guy that's, I mean, I'll watch rom-coms. I'm looking over here because I'm in my living room right now doing this podcast and the couch is over here. So my, my daughter and I in the last couple of years or so started watching like 90s rom-coms together. Amazing. And she's, she's a high school senior. She's about to graduate. And so I'm just kind of soaking up this time with her before she leaves home. And so we watched 90s rom-coms together. And I, I'm the guy that's crying at 90s rom-coms or I'm listening to a podcast or, you know, instrumental um, soundtrack music and, and crying at that. Or, uh, I mean, th- th- this is the guy that I am, right? So the, the flip side of that that has not played well to me is, is I, in the past more so, um, I had a, a pretty big issue with, with anger as well. So learning how to, again, long story short, learning how to kind of find a little bit more of an equilibrium, not riding the roller coaster of the ups and downs and extreme highs and extreme lows constantly, learning how to balance things out um, has been, it's been tough, uh, but it's, it's an effort that I'm, that I'm making intentionally. And why it's important to bring that up is one, so that people don't misunderstand. You can, you can, it's both and, right? So there's the both and again, you can do both, but People are so obsessed in these days uh, with this idea that I am dot, dot, dot. I am this Enneagram type, personality mm-hmm. type. Mm-hmm. I'm introvert. Mm-hmm. I'm extrovert. Mm-hmm. All these things. Mm-hmm. Those are all behavioral patterns. And most mm-hmm. of them are learned, if, if not completely mm-hmm. so. Which means that we have this ability to choose. And going back to that choice and belief concepts, we can choose mm-hmm. the belief system or to alter the belief system, the belief or beliefs that's driving that behavioral tendency or those behavioral patterns and change the way that we behave. So I can still leverage being an emotional human being and I can enjoy that and even be proud of it, and I am. Uh, But I've also learned how to kind of find some balance um, and consistency ultimately. Stability is is the word that I use, another value of mine that I prioritized. Stability for the sake of not only myself and my well-being overall, but also for the sake of those around me. So I I just wanna throw that out there because I think it's really important. For fun, honestly, that I, I love working out. I just, I truly do. I get so much from it. So that's part of it. But uh, riding motorcycles is is an amazing experience because it's you're doing something that is uh, fear-inducing, honestly, <laughs> especially the ways that I ride sometimes. I've, I've been up to 160 <laughs> miles an hour on, on a motorcycle, well, multiple times probably now or close to that. I've taken them to the racetrack. I've, I've begun to learn how to ride on a, on a racetrack with um, different bikes that I've had over the years. And there's a whole skill set involved in that. But there's something about 
not only kind of that fear inducing experience, the exhilaration of like, this is dangerous, but then also just the freedom that comes from getting on a bike when, you know, just blowing in your face and just cruising and the freedom that comes from that. That's just incredible. I mean, there's not a whole lot like it. I just pictured you with long hair, <laughs> like wind, like wind blowing in my face. I'm like, oh, I'm like literally in my mind, like that, that hair, hair. in my hair. <laughs> I actually had long hair um, a number of years ago, it, like kind of shaggy long hair. It didn't last for real long. I ended up chopping it off. But yeah, there's no long hair flowing. It's just, it's just that experience. Have you ever ridden a motorcycle before? Yes. And it was terrifying. Mm. I think it's scarier as the... Um, the passenger? Yes. It makes me have to pee a little bit thinking about it. It was a little bit it was pretty scary. Yeah. It's yeah, it certainly it depends on who you're riding with and the kind of bike and how much control you sense that they have. Uh, but yeah. I've had some really, really cool experiences over the years with Jill. We've we've taken uh, we went out to, to Santa Barbara and really just to LA. We actually flew into LA, rented a motorcycle there. Rode up to Santa Barbara on the coast, um, stayed in a bed and breakfast there in Santa Barbara. Um, for my birthday one year, she took me out to, to Denver. We flew into Denver, rented a motorcycle there, rode through the Rockies. I mean, and, and the experiences of being able to share in, in those adventures together are incredible. But again, doing that, if you were driving in a car, you know, it's just a whole different experience You're, when you can actually like, go ahead. Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm totally kidding. This is all about you, man. Keep going. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, when, like, when you, that experience of, of, again, a bit of danger, but then yeah. that sense of freedom and the open air and the, the wind blowing in your face and being able to look around mm-hmm. and see that scenery around you is just, it's, it's, it's next level. <laughs> it's like flying. It's like flying, I'm sure. It is. We had some more comments um, come in. Oh, Matt said, if, not, if everything, I guess he's quoting uh, something that we were talking about. If everything is a priority, then mm-hmm. nothing is a priority. Good yeah, one. and that, that's very, mm-hmm. very true. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel Moyer says, the 12 values of conversation is one of my favorite topics you, you cover, Nathan. Mm-hmm. The 12 values mm-hmm. conversation, yeah. I think it's important. We don't, people are trying to figure out, they, they say, I'm, I'm trying to find myself. And Oh, I was going to go there. Yeah? I, I well, knew please, this ahead. is where I was going. No, no, <laughs> I'm just very excited because that's literally where my brain was going. Yeah, Yeah. well, it, it's just a misnomer. I have no idea who created that. I, and I, actually, I want to do the research because I'm genuinely curious where this thought process came from, this idea that we're going to go find ourselves. As though, you know, at some point we're going to, I don't know, we could use some analogy, but like we're going to land on some version of ourselves and the angels are going to sing the trumpet sound and we're going to know we found ourselves. Like it's, it's such a weird concept that we've, we've created. We have the ability, again, going back to choice and belief, we have the ability to be able to choose who we want to be. And it, life gets a lot simpler, talking about minimizing number of moving parts, it gets a lot simpler when we realize that fact and we get to make the choice. And yeah, there's a lot of potential options out there, but the, the best thing to do is to just pick a few things and go. And mm-hmm. along the way, you may shift those. My values, I've shifted them over time. My goals, I've shifted them over time. But you have the ability to choose to be that thing and then to figure out how to be that thing or that person. It's, it's really as simple as that. And we could save so much time and stress and, and drama and everything if we realize that and live that out. So I, yeah, I'm on a mission to crush that <laughs> idea. It's such a broken mindset. And, and it's such a reactive mindset too. Like, Again, like the, I don't know, the universe or whatever people believe in, they say that, I guess, I guess it's the idea that that, that there's some version of themselves that the universe has created out there. So I'm going to find that. Like, I just oh, don't, or they say that's... that I'm lost. Like, how are you lost? You're right here. Mm. So now choose who you want to be and go figure out how to be that thing. And yeah, it's not mm. going to be easy, 
but you don't have to waste time going and looking for yourself, trying to find yourself. It's just mm. such a misnomer. I, this is like, so I, there's like, a, there's a part of me. Yeah. For, like, I, I totally agree with you. But then there's like the other side. I'm like, there is. Okay. So this is what I think. Okay. And I would love to hear your thoughts. And I, I know I will hear them because I can see the intensity <laughs> already. You're like, okay, I'm ready. You're like, let's hear this. <laughs> I, I do, from coming from the background that I have, hmm. And finally realizing, which was like, I mean, you know the story, like long-term abusive relationship felt totally out of control of my life. Someone else was controlling my life in the direction that it was. Mm -hmm. When I finally realized, truly deeply realized, I had full control over my own happiness and my own life and what Mm -hmm. I did and who I was, Mm -hmm. that was the most empowering and also devastating thing because I realized how many years did I spend letting somebody else create who I was? Mm -hmm. How many years did I allow that to happen? Mm -hmm. That's, That's like... That is it. That is there's some grief there. There is some grief. But then, like also, truly, I can I can create my life however I want. I am in full control of that, which is amazing. So the so I do believe in creation. I believe in intention of creating your life, and I believe in the choice. You get to decide how you act and direction that you you know all that stuff. Okay, but the other side is not being so in control of the direction and allowing yourself to be open to an experience or experiences because you're drifting a little bit. You're allowing yourself to find maybe something else that's out there by being directionless. But it's like letting your mind wander, like staring at the window and letting Mm -hmm. your mind wander, Mm -hmm. not with any particular reason. You're like, I'm going to let my mind wander for the next 10 minutes because Mm -hmm. I want my brain to relax so I can come up with a solution for X. Hmm. right like I am looking out the window just to see what my thoughts might be so it's like finding out what that is or like discovering what that is because it's just allowing it to happen yeah so I mean maybe and, and Kelsey chimed in too and Kelsey please of course of course more yeah. she said or context she said <laughs> we're gonna have to agree to disagree on the finding versus creating please please do share your thoughts Kelsey but hmm. What, what I hear you talking about seems to be two different things. So there is yeah. the idea of finding ourselves. So we're, we're trying to find mm-hmm. this perfect version of ourselves mm-hmm. versus trying to, what sounded like finding a solution to something. The idea that we keep an open mind to possibility, mm. I think is extremely important, right? If, if, I, if I am so dead set on my intentions as an individual and I, and I mm-hmm. don't simultaneously keep somewhat of an open mind to the fact that those intentions, my understanding, my perspective have shortcomings. There again is the problem with ego, right? So 100% keeping an open mind. But the idea that we're, this this nebulous idea that we're trying to find, I, I don't even know how to make sense of it. Like I can't even paint an effective picture of it because it, it to me, at least from a logical standpoint is, is and I realize you know, life in the world is not all about logic, but from a logical standpoint, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't add up. Like I, I can't actually grasp what that thing is this idea of finding ourselves because we're not we're not lost we're here now if if Mm. theoretically we're talking about being lost as in we don't know what to do next okay sure i mean that we face that all the time including myself we have to make a decision about something but there again lies the responsibility on us and and i have to at least wonder a little bit when people romanticize this idea of finding themselves are they actually giving up the responsibility of 
having to choose to be mm. a particular person and what Ooh. it means to put the work in there. Yeah. Mm. It's very easy to romanticize it and, and kind of push mm. it off to the universe and say, oh, at some point I'm going to happen mm. upon, I'm going to keep an open mind, I'm going to happen upon this version. Mm-hmm. Again, I still don't quite understand what that even means. But if if we're giving up that responsibility, which we tend to do a lot in our culture, mm-hmm. then where's where's like how does that coexist with this obsession that our culture also has with empowerment you know like we're actually giving ah. up the power to this nebulous idea mm. when we have the the ability the power to choose who we want to be we have the power to learn how to be that thing or those that person mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's really exciting yeah it takes a lot of work but mm-hmm. we have the opportunity and i'm a personal example of that and we could go into more detail what that means but if if I mm-hmm. if right now you were talking to the version of me that was you know ten years ago or fifteen years ago, it's a vastly vastly different person. Mm. That doesn't happen automatically, um, at least not the way that it played out. If it had happened, if I just kind of let it play out the, however I wanted to play out, and I was just gonna you know sit around and wait for the universe to show me who I was, mm. I would be in a ditch somewhere. Like the, it, it's <laughs> such a no. it's such a weird concept. I just don't understand that. So you'd be a dental hygienist in Alabama. Well, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> if, are you the universe? You're telling me. I am. Te- I am the universe. Okay. I'm telling you. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But th- does that make sense? The distinction between because it sounded like you were Definitely. talking about problem solving versus the idea of finding ourselves. Or what are you, you think? what I? I think it, what it comes down to. Uh, I also have like three other things in my brain that really wants to like chime in at the same time. Please. I I, I think what it comes down to. Which is, this is what you're very good at. This is why you're also a very good interviewer and excellent what you do is the distinction, like defining what it is you're actually talking about. Mm, mm-hmm. Because someone else's definition, someone's definition of finding themselves is going to be a very definition than maybe like what we're talking about. And so I, I think if we define it in different ways, we're going to view, have our own view because it's our own definition. Fair. And we're not That's even fair. agreeing on what the definition is. I feel like it's just so broad. And it's such a personal thing. I find it fascinating. But I, I how do you define oh, what does that mean to you? Then yeah. what, like that phrase, finding yourself. If you had to sum it up in a sentence, maybe two at the most, how yeah. would you define that? What does it mean to you? Okay, so what it first of all, what it does not mean to me is letting the universe decide. Okay, does not mean that to me whatsoever because okay. because I am I don't believe that at all that the universe has decided my fate already and who I am. Okay, but. What I, for me, it means finding myself is allowing myself to experience things not on purpose, like just to allow things to happen in my life or um, opportunities to come by that I would not intentionally choose, but I mm-hmm. might just try them out and see, like, am I, like, by finding out something not on purpose? Like, okay. for me, creation is on purpose. Hmm. I'm choosing, it's on purpose. Ooh. I'm all, I'm all pixely. Did I go pixely? You did for a second. You're back. This is the universe being like, yo, we're going to do this. is like you're in trouble here. Like, yeah. That makes yeah, sense. But- okay. So so then then we're just talking about trying things and figuring out what we like and what we don't like. Right. And and again, I like I like what that picture that you painted, which is keeping an openness to trying something that doesn't necessarily fall into what we would categorize as our wheelhouse or our tendencies or our preferences. Or like, like, or- yeah, making a choice, making mm-hmm. a plan, like decisively pointing my life in a certain direction. But I think you highlight something really important in, in any significant discussion like this about life, really any significant discussion at all, honestly. We have a problem in our society, which is that we all 
tend to have these subjective meanings that we put on words mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that way overcomplicates discussions, especially important ones, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's in the context of a romantic relationship or business mm -hmm. conversation or otherwise. And I, I know this is very simplistic and idealistic, but if we were to shift our conversations and use words with their dic dictionary definition, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It would simplify things mm -hmm. so much. I, I've, I've been kind of mm -hmm. mind boggled by this um, over time on different levels, but both again in my personal and business life, it would, it would just simplify things. And I know that people aren't going to go jump and do that, but it, it create, there's so much confusion that happens because somebody's projecting whatever their subjective meaning or definition of a word or phrase onto that thing. And now mm -hmm. again, unnecessarily, we're complicating things. We're adding unnecessary moving parts. And in this case, those unnecessary moving parts are the additional definitions that somebody's throwing on top of this. Yeah. So I, when, I say, when I say something to someone, whether it's on the podcast mm -hmm. interview or in an email or a text message, I mean, I, I'm a dork. Like when I send a text message and I'm sending something that's meant to be smiley and I'm probably going to throw a smiley emoji in there, I'm literally smiling. Like I'm yeah, very yeah. intentional in the way that I communicate, yes. right? And, but usually, and I've, I've had to tell probably countless people, multiple people certainly at this point, this very thing, which is, if I say something to you, I mean it literally to the extent that you can go open a dictionary, you can look up the words that I said, and you know exactly what I meant when I said that thing. That just simplifies conversation so much. And when we say, we take something like finding yourself, if we're using those words literally, and I, I know that most people aren't normally, but if we're using those words literally, then it doesn't add up. Now, if it means something totally different, then let's actually use different words or phrases. And, you know, when, and when it gets to complicated political conversations in our culture and society, again, and I, I, won't, I won't try to even get into some of this stuff right mm -hmm. now, but mm -hmm. I think we've complicated some of these conversations unnecessarily. There are certain issues in our culture that need to be addressed, but then mm -hmm. people started using these words mm -hmm. with their own definitions in mind mm -hmm. and just throwing them out there. And it caused mm -hmm. a lot of problem and unnecessary mm -hmm. conflict and strife as a result. So I think we need to be really clear about what it is that we're meaning. So I'm glad that you highlight that. Mm. I, I think doing what you do, this has got to be something on the top of mind for you. Like, have you ever had a conversation or like a, an interview conversation on your podcast just go horribly, horribly wrong? Yes, when it didn't lack or when it, when it lacked that intention that I was describing. So I think back mm -hmm. to it, obviously, I'm not going to name names, but there was a photographer mm -hmm. that I interviewed. The intention was to have that kind of free form conversation, organic conversation. We'll just see what happens and go where it may. <laughs> and that works for people like yourself or myself who are used to being in an interviewer's seat or we're used to teaching mm -hmm. or speaking like that. That's going to play out a little bit more naturally. Somebody who's naturally witty like, like Kelsey. Shout out to Kelsey again. I know. <laughs> but but. Many, if not most people are just aren't not that they're just not that comfortable, especially in a situation mm -hmm. where they know the spotlights on them. They're being interviewed. And so, I mean, this has happened multiple times. I can think in one particular situation that was just super, super painful because they didn't really know where the conversation was going. And because they hadn't taken the time to think through what it was that we were going to discuss, they weren't able to to craft those ideas and present them in a way that flowed easily, was easy to understand, easy to follow. And then, you know, there's, there's also the issue of dead space, dead air. And mm. I, I'm very cognizant of that as an interviewer, that we can't mm -hmm. have that. So um, mm -hmm. I'm then spending a lot of energy trying to carry a conversation mm -hmm. when somebody's not a good conversationalist. So, yeah, that's happened a mm -hmm. number of times. But I enjoy the challenge, Stacey. Mm. The, the live stream added an additional complication on top mm -hmm. of it, which is there's no editing, right? The, yeah, that's it. The, the, it is what it is. But it's a, it's a fun challenge there. So I'm putting myself, liken it to motorcycle riding. The first time I ever took a bike out, after I took the safety course, I took a bike out. 
and in fact, we, my brother and I went to a dealership and we, there was a particular motorcycle that I thought I was going to buy. So we go to this dealership, they pull the bike out. They're going to let me test ride it. Little did they know, or maybe they were starting to figure this out, but I had literally just finished my safety course like the day before nightmare. So I, I get on the bike. I managed to pull the bike out of the, there was this awning where they had parked it. So I get on the bike, I pull the bike out from the awning. I drive down the little hill, the ramp, and I get to the edge of this parking lot. It's a really big parking lot. And for anybody who doesn't ride motorcycles or know, these are most motorcycles anyway, have a, have a clutch. And if you're not used to using a clutch when you ride, whether it's a car or a motorcycle, it's a bit complicated at the outset. And so I dropped the clutch and I killed the engine immediately. I hadn't even pulled out of the parking lot yet. Oh. And at this point, I'm like, oh, shoot, because they're, these guys are standing back here watching me pull out. And now they know they're dealing with a total rookie. And I just pulled their bike out. And I'm going to go test ride this thing. But what ended up happening was once I got the bike restarted again, I just went for it. And, you know, at some point you do have to take that leap and go for it. And you're going to figure the thing out along the way. And so the fun challenge, it's exhilarating. You have to be careful. Like at some point you got to draw some lines because if I jump out of an airplane and I'm going to try to figure out how to fly this thing, you know, open the parachute on the way down. There's some, there's some lines to be drawn, but there's something to also be said for going ahead and taking the leap and then figuring things Mm -hmm. out on the way down. Mm -hmm. And there, that fortunately played out really well, um, motorcycle riding. And it similarly has played out here where I put the challenge in front of me. I'm live now. I don't really have a choice. I'm going to shut it down and look really foolish or mm. I'm live. Mm-hmm. I got to figure out how to carry this conversation. There's dead air. I jump in, mm-hmm. maybe throw a quick mm-hmm. little, you know, um, some type of witty comment in there or something to yeah. try to fill this. Yeah, fill, just like start pulling down your shirt. <laughs> That's like, it. That's going to be my new trick. Let's just do yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine in the middle of like something really heated or something's going badly? You're just, hey, it's just, yes. I think yeah. this is your new move. So I, yeah, we just got to take take that risk at some point. But there's a lot to be had on the other side of that. I mean, I've been skydiving a couple of times and similar experience where there's a ton of fear leading up to it. And a lot of that has to do with what we project onto it, obviously. But mm-hmm. naturally, we're going to be fearful. We're jumping out of a plane. And so, <laughs> but but I will say that once, and I'd, have you been skydiving before? No, but it's actually something I would like to do. I would skydive over bungee jumping. And yes, I, the bungee jumping, I haven't done that yet. And that is just mm, nerve wracking. Mm, I have bad mm, knees mm, too. So I have this mm, picture mm, of like, mm, once mm, it hits that bottom and it mm, yanks, my knees just going to mm, pop out of socket or something. <laughs> no, I, no, no, no. I feel like there's just, I don't know. There's less time to get something right. Maybe, maybe if you're on a, with a parachute, you have more time to like pull the second string versus bungee jumping. It's like, no, it's you got one chance. That's it. You're done. Well, yeah, yeah. And I know that there's safety built in there too. And I don't know, maybe it's not even that much safer or less safe than, than skydiving. Knows? The skydiving yeah. thing though is interesting because you, you brace yourself, you expect to feel that dropping sensation when you, when you jump. And it doesn't happen actually. And there's some physics behind that. But so oh. we, we fall out of the plane and, and what the guy explained to me was the plane's already doing 125, 135 miles an hour. That's about the speed that you're going to fall at. So Unlike a roller coaster where you're at zero miles an hour at the top of the hill and then suddenly you fall and you experience that that increase in speed or momentum. With a plane, you're just simply transferring that forward movement down. So you're bracing yourself. You're like, oh, because you, you think that that feeling, that roller coaster sensation mm-hmm. is about to come on at a different level. <gasps> I'm feeling it right now. I'm right. Try, I'm trying to breathe normally, but I'm actually holding my breath. Yeah. I'm like little teeny breathing coming out. So we're, <gasps> we're, we're actually in the plane and, and we're getting up to, I think it was about... 15,000 feet is, is where we were getting up to between 12 and 15. And the, 
as you're riding up there, there's not as much fear because you're just, it's like being in another plane ride. You look out the window, there's this, the ground down below, but I've seen that a million times before. I've flown all kinds, all kinds of times. So we get up close and, and once we get up close to that height, what happens is they, they open the door, this big sliding door comes open and there are a few jumpers that are going to jump individually, uh, solo jumpers. And so, of course, the wind starts rushing in. We're sitting on these bench seats. They look like locker room benches. It's, it's kind of funny, but we're sitting on these bench seats. Sounds and safe. Oh, yes, yeah, super safe. Yeah, high <laughs> yeah. class. Yeah. Um, and we're strapped into, uh, we're str- literally strapped into our, our instructor on our back. If you have any kind of personal space issues, this is not the thing for you to do. So we're, we're strapped in really tight. It actually creates a sense of kind of security and comfort as a result. But we're, we're just kind of slowly, those first jumpers go out. You literally see them, like they, they open the, wind, the, the door, the wind comes rushing in. They kind of grab a hold of this handle and then slide out. Like they're actually standing outside the door. They're holding on to that handle. And you see them let go and they fall. I mean, just like gone, just like that. So wow. that's your initial experience. You're like, oh, shoot, this thing's about to happen. <sighs> and we're sliding down these benches, we get closer. And, closer, and then you start to see as you're getting closer to the door now you can see a little bit more of these people falling out the door and you get closer and closer now the person in front of you you see them just you know tumble out the door we get to, we get to the door and i get on my knees and i'm holding he has me hold on to the the harness right here on my chest and he's holding on to the the bar above and we kind of rock back and forth two or three times and then we t- we somersault out so we just kind of tumble out and Again, there's that initial brace of like, oh, shoot, it's, you know, that feeling's going to happen. <sighs> and then split second, and then you realize, oh, there's literally no sensation. There is a Crazy. sensation of like a freedom, like a lack of security that you've never felt before because it's just literally just the open sky around you, but there's no dropping sensation. And so that split second's gone. You're like, oh, I'm okay. And then there's literally no sense of falling. It, you're just in the sky, and it's very loud because the wind's going past you really, really quickly. But you're like, oh, this is actually isn't so bad. So we fall for, I don't know, 30 seconds or so. And then they pull the chute. Uh, I think it's close to 5,000 feet is, is about where they pull the chute. And then we just, flo- I mean, and then it's dead quiet. It's beautiful. And we're just floating around, coming for the landing. But is it here's jarring? It is a little bit jarring. You would expect, I mean, because that, that harness around your, your crotch, like it, it looks like it's yeah. going to be uncomfortable, right? <laughs> when that thing just pops especially up. Especially for men. <laughs> yes. But fortunately, it's not as bad as it, as it looks. We get down to the to the ground though, just to kind of finish the story. And this scent, I literally had a physical buzz for about forty five minutes mm. because there is this sensation of, you know, holy crap! I just conquered death. I guess I I just did that thing. I just jumped out of an airplane, and I'm here and I'm alive. And oh my goodness, that experience was like nothing I've ever experienced before. And I literally, truly had a physical buzz for probably about 45 minutes before it finally just kind of like my body relaxed a little bit. It was absolutely incredible. Here's the, here's kind of the lesson to go with that though. Mm. If we're willing to take the jump, right? Mm. We have to do so intelligently. We got to put some safety precautions in place. This is not an all or nothing proposition, but if we're willing to take the jump at the other end of that jump is an experience that we couldn't have only imagined before. Mm. And that is, and it's worth that for sure. Mm. Oh my, I'm like, I felt so much of that when you were describing <laughs> it. And yeah. like, literally my, I'm like, okay, I actually have to like lean back here and just take a, my heart was, yeah. I, I feel like you could probably pull that, that feeling when you are going about your life and making decisions and even like going to the next thing. I don't know. Like, do you find that you carry that with you and that, 
that kind of gives you energy for when things are looking like a little bit scary or something new or something hard. Like there's just that reaffirming, I don't know, like this is your life and it's exciting and you're going for it. Well, there's, they say, whoever they is, I actually want to do some, speaking of research, a bit of research on this for myself too, to understand it better, but the, the sense of fear and exhilaration is actually kind of the same mechanism internally. And you're in your brain. It reads the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've begun to more intentionally kind of go there in my mind. If I do begin to sense fear, whatever the scenario or context that I, I remind myself of that and, and kind of try to translate it, uh, to the other side, because if, if that's really the case, wow, how incredible is that, you know? And yeah, it is mm-hmm. a good reminder, certainly whether it's skydiving or any other kind of scary or exhilarating experiences that I've had that on the other side of that thing, you realize, okay, the way I built this up in my mind, it wasn't really as big a deal or as dangerous or as scary as I, as I kind of built it up in my mind. Mm-hmm. And it's an important reminder for me not to do that. Um, and then mm-hmm. certainly an encouragement. Yeah, go for it. Mm-hmm. You're going to mm-hmm. figure it out. It's going to be okay. There's at the end of the day, there's not a whole lot that's actually as big a deal that we as we make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps kind of keep things in balance and keeps in, in check. I feel like because we've already gone over an hour, because how? And I had <laughs> so many more questions for you, and I'm sure your audience would love to hear more. But I feel like on this note of mm. even like moving forward, I would love to talk about what's next. Mm. And like let let them in on a little bit of uh, what you're doing next. It's sure, a big exciting secret. Yeah, well, I'll give a little context too. So for years, and and uh, it would be kind of fun actually to go back to Boca podcast episodes over the last six years and literally pull every single episode where I talked about this to photographers. But for years in our industry, there's been an obsession at, in the photography industry, more specifically the wedding photography industry. There's been an obsession with photographing the high-end bride, or at least you know getting to a say mid to, to mm-hmm. high-end level where you're charging mm-hmm. five, six, seven, eight thousand, ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. By the way, I did it myself. First wedding, three hundred fifty dollars. Got to a place where we would relatively regularly book ten thousand dollar clients in little old Chattanooga, Tennessee. Kind of still surprising to this day, even ten years later. But that that experience is understandable. The intention is understandable because photographers want to get to a place where they can shoot less, make more, not have to work quite as much, et cetera. I, I get the thought process. The problem is that segment of the marketplace, um, and this is according to the weddingreport.com for anybody who's curious, you can go pull this data, but something like 20 to 30% of the market is that. And by the way, when I say that, I should be more specific. So 70% or less, $2,000 and below for wedding photography. The next 10 to 15, maybe 15% or so is two to four grand. And then everything above that is the, you know, the four and above. And yet we have all these photographers just cramming into a relatively speaking, a small. And like a lot of photographers. Yes. A Most lot. wedding photographers are trying yes. to get to some yes. version of that top 15% mm-hmm. or so. Mm-hmm. And again, no judgment. There's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. But it also means that, well, it means two things. One, there are a lot more photographers are working for the same business. Mm-hmm. So we have to, if we're actually trying to be intelligent business owners and look for opportunity, that's, mm-hmm. that's something that should be considered. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that conversation is who's serving the 70%? Everybody else. Yes. Who is? What about and, everybody else? Don't they yeah. also deserve like an amazing experience and photography and memories for their life? Yeah. And, and you know, to be fair, obviously what comes from being an established wedding photographer, developing the skill set, maybe some went to school, they've taken courses, they've done workshops, whatever, spending years establishing themselves, not only as photographers, but as business owners, you're going to naturally have a, or hopefully anyway, a more premium experience as a result. So mm-hmm. again, I don't want to take anything away from that and what you can have there. 
we do, in essence, generally speaking, of course, get what we pay for. But who has been actively trying to serve that? Let's not even say 70% because that's pretty generous. Let's just say that the, the 50% of the market, the 40 to 50% of the market, who, if you look at the stats um, from the government, it, it's something like, I think the average, um, what is it? Like 40 to 50% of, of the uh, the U.S. economy, anyway, is making something like mm. 40, I think maybe 50 grand a year. And if somebody's making that kind of money, then how are they going to afford a $5,000 photographer, an $8,000 photographer, a $10,000 photographer, right? Mm -hmm. It is a select percentage of the country that can afford that. And that's just the U.S. economy. That's not even considering all these other countries who, you know, where there are photographers. So again, the question is who's actively serving that segment of the marketplace who only has maybe a few hundred bucks for a wedding photographer, despite all the egotistical conversations that photographers have about, you know, how important it is and it's an investment and you can, you can figure out where to get the money and all these things that people say, if you only have so much money in your bank account, you can only afford so much. I mean, it's just, it's very simple math, right? Uh, at the end of the day. So we considered a number of years ago, this actually, this conversation started back around 2014, 15, like, how can we, how can we go there? How can we serve that segment of the market? How can we create a business that would offer photographic services to this massive, massive segment of the market? And initially the conversation was around contracting photographers and there have been companies, I won't name names, but there have been companies over the years who mm -hmm. have tried to do that or are trying to do that. Mm -hmm. The problem is the pricing. I'm thinking one company in particular, in fact, the only one that I know of right now who is still attempting to do a Actively. version of this. <laughs> yeah. If you go look at their pricing, the pricing still ends up being, I think, somewhere in the realm of two grand and above. And so you're still talking about a large percentage of the country who either may not be able to afford it or at least aren't prioritizing it enough with their limited budget to be able to afford something like that. So who's photographing those, those weddings? I came up with an idea for a platform that would enable the consumer to serve themselves. So imagine Uber or Lyft but for photography. If you have our app, our platform, and the camera on your phone, you can do one of two things. You can be a photographer, or you can find a photographer. Much like, think about Uber. If you've got the app, their app on your phone, you could be a driver, you can find a driver. Same concept, but for photography. We've created a platform called Chizu, and you can, you can get the gist of it, an introduction to it. If you go to C-H-E-E-Z-O-O, Chizu.com, um, we are creating a platform that is going to serve that segment of the, the marketplace first here in the U.S. and then eventually overseas as well. And we'll be launching that. I'm, I'm hoping to make it live here in the next month, four to six weeks or so. Amazing. I think it's it's fascinating because there's such a resistance. And like photographers talk about like how amazing are these phones? Like the the cameras in there are like incredible right now. This is not even like the latest, but look how pretty blue. It's a very pretty blue. But um, yeah, the, the cameras in here are incredible. Instead of resisting the technology, you're like, okay, like how do we embrace the technology? How do we serve people with it? And it's going to happen anyway. And why don't we empower and organize and be able to help people mm. also do the work and receive the work? I think that's fantastic. And there's a lot of intention that goes into it, be clear. And, and I, I continue to stress the context of the conversation because I know that we're going to get lashback from the industry, mm. um, especially from the kind of uppity ups. Again, the ego driven individuals who would be very quick to say how we're you know maybe cheapening photography. Um, by offering this at a low price, um, how we're cheapening the art of photography by enabling the consumer to become the photographer. Um, and, and of course, the narratives, such narratives. But we're all, we've all been consumers. Every photographer out there, you were once a consumer. 
Well, and from a logical standpoint, it's very easy to kind of shoot all these arguments down. But I also, mm -hmm. I, it, it's, I guess at this stage anyway, <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still empathetic. I understand where these mm -hmm. photographers are coming from. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time entertaining those conversations. I know that we're going to deal with some of that. Um, we're going to have a dedicated page on our site to um, kind of respond to those, what I know are going to be the most common accusations. Uh, but what we are also doing simultaneously, though, is not taking this lightly. When it comes to the photographic side of things, if the, the average consumer is going to pick up their phone and take a picture, by the way, most people, even just with a, a few slight adjustments to their approach, can take a beautiful picture with these phones now. What the phones are doing in camera, um, the software, again, some photographers might call it cheating, but the software is doing a lot of heavy lifting. And so the result that you get from that is actually quite good. And if somebody can't afford 500 bucks for a portrait photographer, but somebody can shoot their session for 99 bucks and they can get, still get some beautiful images that they can use, you know, whatever it's for, a, for their website or um, just some family pictures or a you know, portrait of themselves and their partner, whatever it might be, um, we can, by guiding these individuals with education, both certainly in social media and easy short form content, but on what will be a dedicated education site, um, we'll be able to help them take a better picture. We're going to actually have a head of photography. I won't name names yet, but the person that mm. I've kind of earmarked for this, I'm mm. super, super excited about this. Is somebody who's really experienced in the industry. And um, and I'm really excited to, to work with him to design this education. So we're going to actually be very intentional in that. That's number one. Number two, mm. there's a question about undercutting the industry from a price point standpoint. Again, for most of these photographers who are going to, give this kind of negative feedback, they're likely trying to work in a marketplace that has absolutely nothing to do with this 40 to 50% of the market that mm -hmm. we are wanting to, to take care of. Mm -hmm. So we're going to actually create a price cap uh, when it comes mm -hmm. to portrait sessions of $99. So no more than $99 for a portrait session and for weddings, no more than $9.99 for a wedding, at least at the outset, this is the cap that we're going to create because intentionally Obviously, and I'm still very involved in the photography industry. I have an editing company and we're serving active professional photographers. I have no desire whatsoever to undercut mm -hmm, those mm -hmm, established mm -hmm. professional photographers who are making a living mm -hmm. shooting at a premium. Mm -hmm. So we, are, we have actually built into this platform a limitation, a cap, so that we're not eating into that segment of the market. So now we're creating two very distinct, mm -hmm. we're creating a, a very mm -hmm. defined distinction mm -hmm between what it is that we're doing and what these other photographers are doing. Mm -hmm. And if at that point they want to argue about it, I, I, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. And I'll, I'll, I'll throw one other thing out there and I intend to include this in the conversation on our site, but um, mm -hmm. behind me, and I don't know how well people can see this. If I go full screen on myself here, you can see, let's see here, if I can click, there we go, right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so your uh, fridge. There's my fridge in the background. So I, I, I just live in a simple apartment. Um, and there's, I'm in my living room here doing this podcast and there's my fridge in the kitchen in the background on that fridge, you can see kind of blurred, but those are snapshots right there of images that I took or somebody took on their phone over the last number of years. Those pictures are imperfect in all kinds of ways. The framing, uh, the, <laughs> so many images are probably quite blurry, actually the color correction. And as a professional photographer of over a decade, as an editing company owner. I mean, we specialize in creating and in finishing images for the sake of all of these photographers who are so particular about their, their imagery. Mm -hmm. I couldn't care less that those things are imperfect. That's not the point. The point is that I have these images that represent relationships in my life or moments in my life or a combination of both that are important to me. And that's what matters to me. I don't spend one second thinking about how imperfect they are. Now, 
The caveat to this whole conversation is as established professionals, I think it's, we should, to that conversation of growth, we should continue to refine our craft as professional photographers. But if somebody is not making enough money to be able to afford you, the established professional photographer with all the training experience and fancy gear, but they still want what I've got in the background there on my, on my refrigerator in a little bit more of a structured way and hopefully an even better quality uh, as a result of the education that we're going to be putting out there, the mm. editing services that we're going to be offering for those photographers, mm. they're going to be able to get these beautiful images. And what's most important to them is that they have those images at all. So whether that's mm. for a portrait session or it's for you know a birthday party or it's for a wedding or bar bat mitzvah, whatever the case may be, that they're able to afford to actually have a photographer there to, to capture those moments for them. I am very interested to see how this entire conversation goes and watching the reactions mm -hmm. and the support and then obviously there's going to be controversy right. i think no matter what it's a very interesting conversation it's a conversation that was bound to happen mm -hmm. and i think it's awesome that you're leading the charge and i'm i'm here for it Thank you. Well, we, and we did see the opportunity coming. We knew where tech was, even, you know, 2015. In fact, yesterday, do you happen to know Kenny Kim, the photographer, wedding photographer, Kenny? I feel like that name is familiar, but I can't tell you for sure. Okay. Well, Kenny, I, I'll just, for anybody who doesn't know, and it's probably KennyKim.com for anybody who's curious, but Kenny is a wedding photographer, super talented wedding photographer I've known in the industry for years. Um, and it, just an amazing, amazing person and a friend. Kenny, I had the opportunity to go to Kenny's wedding back in 2012. So 2012, um, New Year's actually. So 2012 going into 2013. And I had an iPhone 5 at the time. And uh, I was looking back through old pictures. And, and uh, well, again, recently, I do this on a re regular basis. But looking back through old pictures, you come across these pictures from his wedding. And that I just, you know, snapshots that I had grabbed with my iPhone 5. And um, just the other day, went back to look at that image. Ended up making a print for him that I took to him at WPPI just the other day from an iPhone 5. You zoom in to like 300% on this image that was generated with, a, I don't know what it was, like a four megapixel camera, a three megapixel camera at the time, an iPhone 5, 2012. It was stunning. I had like, it kind of mind boggling, honestly, to look at. To be fair, the lighting in the situation was good. It was in the courtyard in an, a, a medieval mm. Italian town that we were staying in. It was mm. absolutely stunning. Amazing. But, can't, can't, can't lose. Oh no, but, but yet, even actually, Outside of the, the light, which was shining on Mina, his, his bride, is just gorgeous. In background, in the shadows, the amount of detail, and even the lack of noise, actually, in the image was just mind-boggling. And that was an iPhone 5. So we knew the technology was continuing to get better. Even in 2015, when I mocked up the first version of this app, we knew there was an opportunity to leverage this technology. I don't think the timing at that point would have been right. We're at a place now... And for multiple reasons, but we're at a place now where I think the timing is perfect. Certainly the tech mm. is way better than it's ever mm. been, mm -hmm. mind-bogglingly so. Yes, yep. Um, and we have additional you know, third-party tools if we need to, especially when it comes to wedding photography with darker reception halls, this kind of thing. There's opportunity to use some of those third-party tools to help um, with mm. the quality of the images. In addition to what is, again, already amazing technology with the nighttime photography that, that these things can do. Um, I, I think the timing is right from a tech standpoint. I think mm -hmm. the timing is right as well, because if anybody keeps track of tech news, you'll notice that camera companies are beginning to partner, have been actually the last two or three years in particular, partner with, uh, excuse me, phone companies are partnering with camera companies to incorporate lenses um, oh. or specialized lenses or hardware. Or like moment lenses. Not even that, actually. Right. So I'm trying to think of, I don't know why this is totally blanked. What's, what's the... <laughs> 
This is totally a 43-year-old moment. What's what's the company? I Leica. love this Leica. right now. Oh, Leica. So, oh, my. Yeah, yeah. So Leica is actually partnered with at least one, maybe two different phone companies um, to to bring their hardware, their branded hardware, their lenses to phones. And that's just one example. There, there are multiple examples um, of this kind of thing. But these partnerships, it's very interesting because you're beginning to see the technology from camera companies, the so-called fancy cameras, the professional cameras, begin to kind of move in each other's direction. And what's likely going to happen, you'll notice that mirrorless cameras are continuing to get smaller as well. What's likely going to happen, say, in the next five years is that we're going to see this melding of the technology and maybe they kind of become some version mm. of one. The uh, next mirrorless camera. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, the te technology is such that the, the devices continue to get smaller and can be smaller. So we're, we're prepped for the merging of these technologies, the continued development of these technologies. I think in the marketplace right now too, as it is, there is, as we talked about, a large segment of the population that can't afford your established professional mm -hmm. photographer, at least not as easily. Um, so having a solution like that's great, but even more so when we're dealing with an economy with high inflation rates where, you know, people are maybe dealing mm -hmm. with uh, issues with compensation at their jobs and so forth. It's, and, and the economy is questionable. We're actually perfect for that type of a situation because yet again, say creating jobs, not only creating jobs. So we're going to be a platform where again, much like Uber or Lyft photographers or those who want to become photographers can leverage this platform to make some extra cash on the weekends or during the week shooting sessions or weddings or otherwise. Uh, but then again, for the consumer, they have an option that's not as expensive, but still gives them images that represent those important moments in their life and the important relationships in their life. And tell me again, when is this launching? Um, I, I won't give an exact date, but um, sometime likely in April. Uh, we'll actually be going live and Ooh, we're going to be starting dude. with, yeah, we're going to be starting with portrait photography. The focus will be on portrait photography and that'll be kind of an inroads into the platform because we have a pretty big challenge ahead of us, which is to educate the marketplace that this is even an option now. And starting with something that is relatively simple, which is portrait photography, you know, whether it's for headshots or engagement sessions or individual portraits or family portraits, this kind of thing. Um, it, it's a great place to start. Um, and so we're going to be launching in Atlanta and Nashville, Chattanooga as well um, as a starting place. And then we'll be expanding to the U.S. And then hopefully later this year, maybe in the fall, we'll be um, adding weddings to the mix as well. And uh, we'll go from there. So I, I like to call that the hashtag fuck yeah, because I'm very excited about everything that you're doing. Mm. I want to thank you so much for taking this time to share so much about you and some behind the scenes and some vulnerable moments that I know we were all very interested in and for sharing what you're doing and what you're up to next. I think you're an incredible human being. I know anybody that has been interviewed by you feels the same way. You take care of everybody and we appreciate you. Well, you were super generous to offer to do this. Um, and I, I know I got super long-winded and we're an hour and a half in. I appreciate you making the time to do it. And I hope that those listening in and watching found some, some benefit in this as well. I really appreciate it, Stacey. It was a lot of fun. 